0: of um, Bluepreneur's team, a moderator for this hopefully very fruitful panel discussion. Just to give you all an idea, Bluepreneur is an integration company focused on building accelerated programs, mentorship, and investor relation programs across Asia-Pacific region. Okay, so thank you to everyone from various time zones for taking the effort to join our call today. Before we proceed, here are some house rules. Number one, mute your mic so we can have a smooth um, conversation going on. Um, If you have any questions, feel free to put the questions up in your chat box and we will beat the speakers when they're ready, yeah? Um, So before we proceed, um, we would like to take this opportunity as well to initiate the launching of Bluepiner's Ocean Conversation Series revolving around the new gen mindset. This will be a space where we initiate conversations, um, climate where and also experts such from climate change and ocean backgrounds will be discussing planetary issues on how business should reposition themselves to scale with impact, uh, protecting fresh water and open ocean resources. With this series, we hope to empower communities around the globe to think differently and globally. Right? So this is the fun part. Um, Today's panel discussion is going to be about ocean and climate and the million dollar question is, are we heading towards a decarbonized future? We have uh, Rajeshwar and Dave who will be addressing the conversations today um, around the impact of climate change um, and the current emission removal process and the ocean conservation strategies that can help mitigate climate change. Right? So, um, Hey guys, please do introduce yourself. Maybe we can start off with Dave. Hello
1: everyone. My name is Dave from uh, the Philippines. Can you hear me? Fine. Okay. Hope everyone's, uh, having a cool Sunday. Uh, my work is in Marine conservation. Um, uh, the most basic element of it is a Marine protected area. So these are, um, uh, critical habitats that we protect. So this protection can mean um, legislation or enforcement where, you know, usually these are no-take zones, meaning you can't fish in those areas. And these are also um, you know, heavily studied by scientists and monitored. Um, so that's my that's the gist of my work. So we're you know located in a small island in the middle of the Philippines and
2: here today. Oh,
0: that's great. Um, and Rajeshwar, Yotan?
2: Yeah, myself, Rajeshwar, and uh, I'm the founder of Zero Carbon. So we are mainly focusing on uh, uh, making the emissions reduced from the digital infrastructure. Uh, so today's uh, digital economy is growing at an enormous rate, and uh, there is so many of emissions coming from these uh, industries. And maybe the future is more digital and uh, like meta was, or maybe more into the Uh, bitcoin and uh, ethereum whatever it is so uh, we want to decarbonize the area and uh, we are looking forward uh, yeah in this sector of uh, uh, business
0: yeah definitely um this whole metaverse is taking over the world and i'm already saving up money so i can get my first bitcoin can't wait (laughs) and so since you're already uh, here i'm gonna put this question forward for you first um, in your own terms what is decarbonization and ocean conservation
2: and by own words decarbonization is reduction of carbon emissions from the energy sector all the different sectors rather than uh, like uh, rather than having some other concepts for like carbon capture because because again it is an energy intensive process So you have again the energy going into it which sucks the carbon out and again you store in the pockets of Earth and you don't know when the earthquake arrives. And when the earthquake arrives, all the carbon emissions are still back in the atmosphere. So how are we going to stop it? So there is a big myth that we can store carbon emissions but we can store but what about the temperatures in the Earth and volcanoes or whatever it is? So the problem is like the carbon dioxide will burst back into the atmosphere. So, And then we don't have even control over those carbon emissions. And ocean conservation is important, of course, uh, and uh, mainly ocean conservation uh, has, I think, uh, three or four major threats. One is the like sink of the carbon from the atmosphere and other is acidification, like fertilizers washing away and the pesticides and industrial waste washing away into the oceans. I think as a recent study in the UK mentioned that there is a, a sea or the river which is acidified due to this. And the government is corrupted and they did not look into it. And after 15 years, when they look into it, it's like all the complete uh, river and the sea is completely polluted one side. And the other thing is plastic and the other thing is fishing is the major industry for the ocean conservation, I think. So these are the four industries one have to concentrate mainly, I feel, for the ocean conservation.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, back to Dave then. Um, in your own terms, how would you define decarbonization and ocean conservation?
1: Um, let me start first with the uh, um, reality closer to me, which is fisheries. You know, the reality of fish communities <clears throat> that is linked to poverty, and lack of food security. These um, um, issues are felt um, by you know the people on the ground, and this is where I am with. Um, most of the time, they do not understand decarbonization. It's not something that is being discussed um, in the community, um, unless they have education, but even in educational systems, um, decarbonization is still an enigma of the topic and um, limited to <clears throat> the technical experts you know um, it's so enigmatic and <clears throat> something that they cannot relate to unless these you know this issue of decarbonization and climate change is being talked about in the language that they understand which is actually fish right unfortunately it also boils down to what food you have on the table every day for these kind of you know households so um, ocean conservation to me is unfortunately anthropogenic as well it's human centered yeah. it's about us not you know um, losing the resources that we depend on so that we can live our lives so ocean conservation unfortunately is usually defined in the context of human beings who need to survive and think about uh, environment as a resource something that we need to exploit but not too much Thus, the birth of conservation however okay maybe I need to stop there <laughs> but go on you're, you're making
0: you're making a good point at the end of the day it all revolves around how um, anything benefits the human population right so it's all about the balance.
1: So wrap it up maybe to circle back you know ocean conservation to me it's not about the new technologies or the new Um, management approaches that we learn in terms of legislation or enforcement or fishery management but it's actually understanding our heritage you know indigenous traditions are very important to this conversation because they have lived off their waters for generations you know what has changed what were the markers there so for me more than of course there's by you know the ecological studies of it, but also the social aspect of ocean conservation is very important. Now, in terms of decarbonization, my only knowledge, and I would like Rajeshwar. I, I actually here to listen to Rajeshwar as well and listen and uh, understand technologies. Because in in my experience, I'm only limited to <clears throat> the natural climate solutions, which are you know the mangrove substrates that actually absorb so much carbon um, comparable or, in fact, superior to terrestrial forest uh, carbon sequestration. So the sequestration of carbon dioxide through these ecosystems like mangroves, and I have not even mentioned my favorite ecosystem, the seagrass beds. Um, These ecosystems combined can actually, you know, they matter in the the conversation of reducing or capturing greenhouse gas emissions. So that's my background, the natural side of it. Um, I do uh, understand our technologies that capture carbon, and also um, um, systems uh, changes that are needed to um, remove uh, more greenhouse gas emissions from operations of different industries. Thank you, Dee. Thank you, Rajeshwar.
0: No, <laughs> yeah. well, I think since you're already there, and um, a lot of things that you said about how people are intrinsically connected to the ocean, and um, also, the ancestral knowledge, right? Because they have been living so close and they know what's going on and we need them. And a lot of this decarbonization word actually comes from the upper management, people who have so much more power and people who know that they're actually making a major impact. I think the lower community are still very much lacking in understanding of, you know, because it, it's, it's not, there's a definitely a knowledge gap. So I think because you work on the ground, a lot of your work revolves around communicating with people and also seeing what's happening to the ocean. Um, I guess directing the question to you be more relevant. How has climate change kind of affected the ocean?
1: So um, I think the most relevant um, concern for, for people on the ground would be food security, right? So is climate change affecting fisheries? The answer is yes. So you can see warming seas change, you know, patterns and currents in the water, and it can also change fish migration behavior. So we're Talking about pelagic fish who have pathways, you know, and not just fish, but also marine megafauna, like sea turtles, sharks, uh, whales, you know, cetaceans. These animals' um, behavioral, you know, like migration patterns um, change and even the reproduction. So definitely climate change is affecting our fish stocks. So this is the amount of fish that we are, you know, supposedly um, enjoy as food, right? Um, so that's one. The second would be um, climate change impacting. So um, Regiswara actually mentioned acidification. So the chemistry of the ocean changes. And you can see in scenarios, um, you know, released in peer-reviewed science, uh, you know, in, through the IPCC, you can see that um, impacts that are being anticipated are loss of seashells. Certain species are also important to certain local food ecosystems, you know. So it still relates to food. Um, also, typhoons, you know, stronger um, uh, weather patterns and sea level rising and then also coral beaching. These are natural phenomena around us that are impacting climate change, uh, sorry, impacting communities, no, you know, uh, with this climate change. However, uh, D and Rajeshwar, I'd like to always emphasize that some of these phenomena, people don't really care about unless it's about, affecting their food source, you know, they <laughs> or their own lives and their own safety. We just experienced a super typhoon. It's called Rye, just right on my island. And the the reef that we have protected, I mean this my my organization has protected for 25 years, um, just was on one weekend just destroyed. And these were habitats of 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 fish, you know, so anyway, climate change to me, is something that I see not being understood in the community level, unless it talks about their way of life, their security, their, their safety, and their own, you know, their own persistence.
0: I'm really sorry to hear that. Carl's are so beautiful. with so many different lives and it's a whole, you know, it's, it's a home, isn't it? for so many animals and how they depend on it. Sorry to hear that. And um, I'm sure a lot of work is going on for that. Rajeshwari. Um, what is the importance of decarbonization in the era we live in right now? If you can relate it to statistics, connect it to statistics, that would be great as well.
2: Yeah, carbon percentage is increasing, of course, but uh, decarbonization, I think, uh, it can be only re- it can be only done from the roots where it's generating, because until unless you do it, it's not uh, accurate because after uh, coming into atmosphere nobody has control of it because you can't suck the complete atmospheric air and uh, remove the carbon dioxide and save somewhere else so it's it's impossible this, to do that and the oceans are a major sink here so if oceans are getting warmer, the fish will migrate to other places or might go to a lower uh, uh, areas and there the fish might not be able to resist uh, the pressure from up of the ocean. So they might die or they might not even resist the heat of the ocean. So uh, there is so much of like it, it can uh, like kill all the fish or it can all uh, kill the, uh, the marine life one side and also corals and uh, on the other hand the plastic is also making so much of impact here in the marine life and conservation I, I feel. And, uh, yeah, that's my point of view, I would say.
0: Absolutely. So going, going back to that, um, there's clearly an imbalance in the ecosystem, right? And people are becoming aware of it. And you can hear a lot of like, oh, let's uh, be sustainable. We have eco-friendly straws. Uh, we have so many different uh, products that are being developed and uh, big, big companies are also using the concept of sustainability to kind of like bring in, attract a new set of market because everybody's shifting towards sustainable movements, right? So this is a di- question directed to you, Rajeshwar. with an increase increased popularity in sustainability. Uh, companies are sort of misleading um, consumers by greenwashing, right? Rather than taking important climate actions. Is sustainability the same thing as taking action on climate change?
2: Not really. So, the, for example, that climate change is always about the natural elements of the planet. Water, air, atmosphere, the nature, the land and the sky or clouds, whatever it is, the natural elements of the planet uh, uh, which are affecting due to the uh, uh, like due to this uh, unprecedented uh, temperatures and uh, imbalance in the air imbalance in the water uh, all the different things that is more of climate change and sustainability when you introduce a person or a human into this atmosphere and you want to create something that is called sustainability so you have to sustain as a human as a animal as a person or Mm -hmm. as a ant or as a bee so this is more of a sustainability like I would say the person who is living in Africa like Bali or uh, Whatever it is, the tribe who is living completely off-grid is more sustainable than the people who are living completely in Western. Because he doesn't do anything for the uh, for uh, reduction of uh, like for increasing carbon emissions. Whatever it is, he just do like live with his family and he has his own uh, uh, animal farm and he has his own things. But year <clears throat> the sustainability is completely different concept. When you introduce a person. And you want to create some product for that person to consume. That is more of like sustainability introduction to the people. But again, the sustainability goals are also different. So there is so much of uh, different uh, layers to each of the climate change and sustainability. So there is more greenwashing going on, of course. And also, I would say it's like sustainable washing or else like... Uh, uh it's like it's it's a different uh, viewpoint how you are seeing but it's not more about green washing but it is also sustainable washing because uh, people say we are sustainable but it's not uh, you can't rest you can't live without the technology from morning coffee to evening up uh, to going to bed you need to listen to some headspace or tick tock you have to watch whatever it is so so it's more of tech uh, introduced into your life it's not sustainable i would say
0: very inevitable to lose technology in our lives completely.
2: Yeah, so, so that's that's what I want to work on. Like, make technology available, but still it should be sustainable, clean, and climate friendly, so that people can still use it, but still can have the climate friendly effect on the like carbon, complete no carbon emissions, and more sustainable way. And uh, that's the plan.
0: Have you has the plan been working so far?
2: yeah we made some partners and we are working on like different concepts so yeah
0: okay so you're clearly not greenwashing you're actually doing sustainable work
2: yeah yeah because if i do it there's no difference like whatever it is like if i want to introduce a new technology of course either it should be like a tesla or it should be like again new iphone or new apple or something like that but it's not that. so easy to understand the technology, right? So there is so much work behind and we are working on it.
0: Absolutely, good luck. If you could tell our audience, um, what are the simple ways we can take climate actions? Like, how can we practice that?
2: There are so many simple hacks, like uh, there are one, 100 or 200 hacks like uh, uh, to uh, do really the climate action like buy the food from the local stores rather than buying from the uh, internationally shipped goods or something like that and uh, l- walk or, walk or take the public transport rather than having the commute like a bike or uh, cars and so on so there are so many small small hacks where we can re- still reduce most of our carbon emissions use green energy like solar energy or wind wind energy or else like tree uh, uh, don't use coal for cooking or maybe wood for cooking, start using electric stove or something like that, which is more efficient or effective. And uh, yeah, that's there are so many simple hacks where people can follow still and uh, yeah, create a small uh, action.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's just going back in time, not being so dependent on technology, for sure. Um, back to Dave, um, based on your experience, what would you say your biggest challenges are in marine conservation and how would you address them from your end?
1: Mm, politics would usually be the first on my head when I talk about <laughs> problems in marine conservation. It has nothing to do with species and habitats and sometimes not even scientists can make difference when politicians have to dictate, you know, um, policy, you know what I mean? So
0: Um, it's more like, um, I read this quote that says um, nothing is going to happen to nature if you got, if humans extinct, it's, it's, they're still going to thrive. It's just about us being here and actually making the impact. So nature is going to thrive um, no matter what. We are just slowing its process and we're destructing it. So the end of the day, it's politics. Yeah.
1: Yes. If you dig deeper into our, you know, collective consciousness, I mean, look at our movies and our literature. We, when we talk about um, issues that communities share, I mean, okay, you will. I, I'm just trying to make this conversation light, but I don't know if you've seen Game of Thrones, right? But in Game of Thrones, there are White Walkers entering the kingdoms, um, and these are like, <laughs> I can see your face. Here. Like, what's
0: I'm thinking, which season, which episode?
1: <laughs> you don't have to know Game of Thrones, but basically imagine that there's this shared enemy that all kingdoms face. And then when these enemies come inside the kingdom, everyone will suffer. This is like climate change. And so many um, scholars have looked into that piece of um, you know popular literature and looked into how nations, for example, are facing climate change together. But because of politics... We don't seem to be able to solve it. You know, the, also the difference in the inequality in in society. These are social issues. That's why sustainability, and I'm sure Radoswar will um, agree, is also a social matter. There is um, um, also a discussion on equity um, in different sectors. You know, women's uh, or gender issues are also playing a factor here. So, <clears throat> your question was, <laughs> what was it? My question,
0: question was. <laughs> Most
1: important challenge what in is ocean. your
0: biggest challenge in what you exactly,
1: do? Yeah, exactly what I'm talking about, which is actually the conflicts of people, and um, you know, I, of course, I'm just making this a light conversation, but it ha- it is happening right now. You know, geopolitics of water and resources. I mean, we fight over oil, and that's possible, if you will, and. Um, yeah, I'm, I probably need to stop there. And by the way, I live in a country where environmental defenders are at most risk. I mean, we have the highest deaths of people who speak about issues like this because it's highly political. You cannot protest a bridge, even if it crosses through a protected park, you know, because when you protest the form, you know, the campaign of the government for infrastructure, which is their equivalent of development, you will get into trouble. You will face enemies in the congress and the mayors and even community leaders you're anti-progress you know you're for the mountains or you're for the trees but you don't you're not thinking about the economy you know so this is the dichotomy that you need to face as a conservationist on the ground because a lot of that you know we can take actions on our own and we you know we look at our food how we eat you know if we're eating a lot of imported meat definitely that's a lot of um this that's you know taking a climate action could mean that eating more locally produced food from our own community. However, if policies you know bigger policies, especially in infrastructure and development, are directed by money you know and power in government, yeah that's where you need that's where we need to make a change and that's where that's where a lot of people actually climate action to so a lot of people is speaking up and showing up on the streets and this is what we've been seeing in climate strikes all over the world even pre pandemic
0: so okay so you've addressed that geopolitics um economical value um is relatively the challenge for marine conservation because Um, just to translate what you're saying, the ecosystem is providing economical value, but in terms of a very shorter success, as opposed to a longer term success, right? They exploit that area and then they're like, okay, we're providing job opportunities for these people. We're providing food resources, but in the longer run, they're not seeing the impact uh, of their actions. So that is definitely the challenge because um, I am from Malaysia. We are also working on the mangrove forest and coral reefs. And this is also even the rainforest, most of our forest is being um, turning to from permaculture to monoculture, in the concept of providing economical value. But again, the problem is the lack of looking at it, uh, the looking at tunnel vision, and not from okay, thirty years from now, forty years from now. That is definitely a problem. Uh, but I guess you were saying about how your project has been in Philippines for about twenty five years, yeah. So with this kind of mindset, um, yeah, we would just like to know about how. A project like yours has sustained thus far and what are maybe the actions that you've taken over these years to uh, do what you do?
1: So I'm not a found, I'm not the founder of the organization, right. you know, yes. you're five years, that's a long time um, and I look young, right? <laughs> <I sound> young. <laughs>
0: For sure, so, but you have, you know, the gist.
1: It's a very interesting story. Um, I'm not saying that um, we have found solutions to those problems, especially uh, political or governance issues, because they still do exist as of the moment. But what I saw in organization D is that, you know, sometimes you can call it slow, but it's a it's more of like a slowly but surely working on the education of the next generation of scientists and advocates and artists and teachers who would actually um, push the conversation, you know, inch by inch. And I have seen this in the last 10 years. I I started when I was 15 years old. I'm lucky enough to be in a conservation camp where I learned to take care of endemic endangered animals. I fell in love with these species. I was a zookeeper in a conservation um, captive breeding center. I was 15 years old. I met a biologist and that inspiration, that experience that really was inculcated in, in me, I think this is how I believe we can um, address the challenges that we have before us. Um, it's really the connect, you know, connection and the inspiration, the inspiration that we need to um, you know, move people with. Once they're moved, once they know um, that this is not just a romantic cause, but this is something that really affects their life, Um, Like what happened to me when I was younger, I would, whatever I do, whether it's in, it's for law, it's for, um, you know, um, um, science, it's for governance, or it's for communications, um, or actually even for business, I can, you know, I can take, you know, I can take this inspiration with me. So.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. It's really powerful storytelling and inspiring the next generation and also the present and the future. Yeah.
1: So I've seen, I've seen that um, also um, produce, you know, concrete results. Like I work with um, biologists who are working with this, um, you know, um, in the very endangered, critically endangered uh, population of dolphins or Irrawaddy dolphins in our coast. He was also my age, you know. We went to education programs together. Then on my, the other projects, you would see people who are pushing for, um, you know, um, Proper waste management, and they are also alumni of these programs. So the investments that were made upon us by people who you know design educational programs actually produced results. And I think this is a stronger, stronger the community, the sense of community around these issues would really matter in the end. No matter the technology, no matter the politics, the sense of community would be a strong. Um, you know, this would be the strong um, a pathway. Towards working together for combating climate change.
0: Absolutely. The Mo in the team is powerful. Thank you so much. Very inspiring. Um, Back to Rajeshwar. Um, So, now because you're the tech guru, right? So, um, the question states that we do not have the technology to quantify both the carbon absorbed by vast ocean and by land. Um, And scientific assessment of marine carbon storage are also lacking. So how can startups measure the efficiency of blue carbon solution to make informed business decision? This is for Rajeshwar.
2: Yeah, like there is uh, no solution at present for the calculating of the carbon emissions from the oceans because uh, you can't really calculate because how much of percentage of atmospheric carbon dioxide is still in the atmosphere and how much is still sinking into the ocean. It's very, um, it depends on the algae in the oceans or the coral leaves in the ocean, how it's uh, re- uh, absorbing the carbon dioxide into the uh, ocean and getting into the, like, uh, creating oxygen back and uh, uh, And it's also said that uh, all all people say forests are the lungs, but oceans are the biggest lungs because oceans produce 70% of oxygen. And uh, so people don't know that. And uh, that's the main problem. But the thing is, there is no way we can calculate this for any business right now at this point of time. Maybe you can look into demographics uh, from NASA or maybe NOAA uh, from USA And uh, maybe uh, use their algorithms or use their data to uh, efficiently find how the carbon emissions are in the ocean right now, or maybe use artificial intelligence and machine learning in the future and uh, find the real uh, carbonization of the oceans and the uh, seas and so on.
0: Okay, so these startups are gearing towards that?
2: Mm, not really they don't really do that because they don't know it one thing and and it's also a biggest vast region right because yeah, for example you are a business in uh, somewhere in uh, new york but you don't know the water is flowing uh, ocean currents right and you yeah. the carbon emissions and it's the carbon emissions uh, uh, like sink might be somewhere in uh, uh southern asia somewhere in other parts of the ocean right mm-hmm. so the airflow the current flows and uh, the water flow there is so much of difference right so we can't really tell like uh, is it really creating an impact right now that's a startup or because mm-hmm. we can't calculate exactly because we don't have the actual demographics at this point of time
0: so it kind of sounds like when you start up a business now it's equally important to get an analytical back you know like an assessment especially from people who are in that in the in the in that field scientists researchers have done the work so then you analyze and how you are able to you know uh, implement right this yeah, is the only way course. around yeah yeah okay um is there anything you'd like to add on to that question <laughs> uh, um, also from your experience uh starting your own business and um, implementing these blue carbon solutions to your company, maybe the process of that and how, um, you know, the initiating idea and the process of it so far,
2: the flow. Blue carbon, I think is not, uh, we, I, I am not into blue carbon solution mainly because mm-hmm. uh, I feel I can't calculate because it's impossible. There is no technology at this point of time that I can calculate And mainly we are concentrating on uh, making the uh, energy systems more green, sustainable, long lasting and uh, more effective Mm -hmm. uh, for the future, which will last for 30, 40 years, not uh, more into renewable and uh, regenerative energy systems, not really the today's energy systems what you're looking into. So Mm -hmm. I am not into the blue carbon mainly, but I am into the this technology where I can reduce carbon emissions, but not really into the carbon of oceans because there is bigger things over there. And uh, yeah, I will go on to that business later, but not now because there is so many things to handle right now in this area. Then yeah, I can go into that area because it's uh, it's interconnected, right? So whatever you do in the carbon tunnel vision, if you see, it's interconnected. The ocean, sea, water, whatever it is. So. It's like uh, once you start in one industry, again, you have to go to other industry and tackle that too. So like maybe mm. in the future, we might do it, but right now I don't have any uh, information on it. Right?
0: But it's in, the, it's in the mind. It's definitely a concept here. Yeah, yeah, of
2: course. It should be there, right? So like once mm. you start the business and there is so many interconnected points for it, right? So you need water for your clients. You need water for your customers. And again, you have to look into the water, water oceans and food also. So sustaining is more important for everyone, so.
0: Absolutely, um, back to Dave, thank you Rajeshwar. So just now you're speaking about the mangrove forest and you were talking about seagrass and um, different ecosystems, right? Uh, NASA studies um, in 2020 shows that uh, we have lost over 3,400 square kilometers of mangroves, sp- Um, a big, big percentage of corals um, are damaged. um, And also we've lost a big chunk of seagrass and these are all uh, carbon sequesters, right? Um, Most people accept the scientists unaware of this issue, just like the movie, Don't Look Up. I don't know if you guys watched it, right? So how does a conservation project like yourself make an impact to reserve the loss, Dave? To Reverse the loss? You
1: That's, can't do that. <laughs> That's very ambitious. <laughs> wow. I mean, um, there are there are uh, technical um, approaches that we can take to recover, you know, lost mm-hmm. hectares of mangroves and seagrass. But I think we have a deeper work here, Dee and Rajeshwar. This is, I, I think, as you've probably noticed, Dee, I'm always talking about culture as well, you know, part of our culture. We need to look deep into our um, consumption patterns. You know, if even if we recover hectares of mangroves and seagrass, but we're also demanding resources that are equivalent to those that we've built. I mean, is there such thing as a sustainable, you know, a, a truly sustainable <clears throat> cycle of production and consumption? I think we have developed a generational sickness of craving for material prosperity, right? I mean, everything needs to be convenient. Everything needs to be produced with our convenience and sometimes even luxury. And This is such a very sad state. And I think this is something that we need to address. I mean, we cannot separate the science with the social aspect of climate change. You know, there's the unequal uh, unequal distribution of resources and unequal um, policies that affect different nations that are trans, you know, transnational issues. These are not issues that my country needs to solve every typhoon, every time a typhoon ravages our country. This is, you know, if you look at the carbon footprint of somebody in the Philippines compared to somebody in, in the U.S. or China, it's very, you know what I mean? It's very glaringly different. Like we are contributing, I think less than one percent, if I'm not mistaken, and we bear the brunt of this. This is why you have concepts like climate justice. Is this incorporated in your business model, as you know, as entrepreneurs? Do we consider that you know production um, can be exploitative in nature, and this actually not just relates to resources, but this is a deep-seated cultural, you know, sickness of craving of. Wanting more, wanting new things, you know the the phones that <laughs> that become obsolete by design after a year or two. Um, that's also very socially, you know, that's just an injustice. That's why you have models like Fairphone or you know other other um, technologies, um, materials that are circular or designed to you know, that's why you have the discussion of these kind of uh, alternative economic models, right? Mm. Um, I, I hope I'm not ranting, um,
0: but... No, no, really... I think you are. It, it's, it's a massive topic, you see? Um, mm. And I wasn't helping you either by, by putting three ecosystems out in the open, right? Everything has its damages, and it's exactly what you said as well. Um, we are a generation of um, feeling comfortable, and the reality is when we are comfortable, something else is having a hard time. I'll tell and you- This sense the ocean. Yeah,
1: go on. Projects in the, you know, for example, is the experience is that when we talk about um, uh, reversing the loss of mangroves, we have a national greening program, NGP, that is um, sanctioned by the Department of Environment and Natural Resources. But that department, you know, historically was founded in the, um, <laughs> I have to say, American uh, system of, uh, management of resources, meaning how can we yield um, as much as we can, you know, as, as efficient as we can from natural resources like forests. So obviously when they started the national greening program to, to, to plant more mangroves, you know what happened? They created more problems. You know why? Because every seed there has a cost and they organize people's organizations to be, they will need to pay every individual Tree that was planted, no matter where they were planted, if it was the right substrate, if it was the right ecosystem, they they counted. They would pay money per seedling for these mangroves. This is a national reforestation program for mangroves, right? look at it i would say oh wow i'm happy because they're putting money into this and engaging the communities however the social issues that are still persistent there cost problems because when there's money there's corruption if you're not able to address these systemic and behavioral um, uh, issues even with, with whatever we do to reforest you would still encounter problems so now we see those people, organizations fighting over the money for that seedlings that you know grew up to be mangroves, um, you would have issues about a mismanagement of funds. You know, so these things need to be considered when we create programs for mangroves and seagrass. It's not just about those habitats. I mean, if we're just working for them, I'm sure they will. It will work, but we are working with people too. People who use these resources, people who live by the mangroves, people who might make money if they destroy the mangroves, you know, for for firewood, and 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 so many in complex issues. That's why I always always emphasize that um, the conservation is interdisciplinary. We need the scientists to make the assessments. We need the innovators to build technologies, and but we also need the community buy-in. So we need to um, have social science skills as well and communication skills so that we can truly.
0: Interpret. Okay, so you haven't technically answered your question. Um, <laughs> um, how does your project, I wouldn't say reverse the impact, but recover the impact. You can talk about all the things that your project does in Philippines.
1: Well, Dee, you might have maybe missed the point of me sharing all of those <laughs> um, you know, so how, what do we do? It, it doesn't, it has nothing to do with technology or technical programming. I mean, of course I can talk about that. I can talk about, you know, management planning how you incorporate uh, science into management plans. You know, when you have a protected area, a terrestrial forest or a marine protected area you would need to build a multi-stakeholder management board. You know, usually led by a protected area chair. So this org- the organization of this requires more than just the science so what I'm saying is for capacitating you know people of different sectors to participate in this process you know using you know sometimes you can, you can even use design thinking in this process you can you need to use facilitation techniques there is that is what my organization is doing on the ground okay. facilitating These experiential learning, or sorry, facilitation, is learning experiences so that sectors can come together and solve the issues. No matter what the technology, no matter what the policy landscape, what is important is the community, the people. You know, if we don't have that, you know, if we don't have that, we cannot reverse anything. We cannot do anything. Um, As I have mentioned earlier, a national greening program that didn't build the values of the community to be able to sustain that project, you know, it caused failures. This is exactly why why my answer is such is such, you know, it has to be a nuanced perspective of what we actually implement also D. I need to share this. And this is something that you might also be familiar with. I come from a city, you know, three hours away from, let's say, the marine protected area that I work with. I go there, bring a scientist, we do the assessments, and we tell the communities, oh, you shouldn't be fishing in this area, because this is a critical coral reef. And if you fish there. Without regulation, you will basically run out of the fish stocks, you know, the fish uh, shelter. And then these communities, if you didn't have any buy-in or any social um, preparation, you're going to say, who the hell are you coming to my community telling us what to do with our oceans? We, we have fished in this reef, you know, for generations. My grandfathers, my, my grandparents have, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So,
0: yeah. You have to be able to provide, yeah, you, you, you are an outsider going in. Um, I know a lot of conservationists here in Malaysia itself that have had to change their identity, You know, move their address, to be part of the community so the community would listen to them. So there are sort of radical actions you have to be able to take on both sides, I guess. If you want to really fight this issue, you go all out. And I think what you're saying is also go to the ground root of the problem and address it from there.
1: Empathy. Empathy was usually be the first step in this process. I mean, if you do project management, you also do stakeholder, you know, analyze your stakeholders. It's the same with businesses. You need to grid them. You need to, like, analyze the, these different sectors. Who are the most influential? Who is the most invested in this, in this um, conservation project? You know, analyzing these and understanding how we can communicate and engage them is a very important process that many conservationists, unfortunately, do not start with start with the numbers they start with the intellect, intelligence and go to like presentations and say okay this is what we know about your 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 environment but that's not i have seen so many projects fail at the very start just because they didn't have a buy-in at the very beginning and that would be seen as condescending like people who parachute into a community and dictate what how resources are going to be used in that area that's 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 definitely is uh something that I, I always um, warn uh, my, my colleagues about.
0: Very interesting uh, Dave, a lot. I think, I think you have a lot more to say. So we're going to go with Batshu first, Rajeshwar and then go back to you. Um, Rajeshwar, so how are the credit, carbon credits going to help sustainable driven companies be for profitable? And how are prosumers going to play a leading role in that process? What are like what are the other methods, rather than carbon credits, can startups implement or look into?
2: I think carbon credits can't help because it's a type of greenwashing. Because you buy the credits, you plant trees somewhere else, but uh, there is no really action over there. In my opinion, and even there are so many companies that are planting trees, but still they plant the trees and cut after three years because they need the wood for uh, for your IKEA stuff or for your uh, home, for your food or something uh, for your, uh, what do you say, This uh, grilling the uh, meat or something like that, but still, or coal, <laughs> but still you can't really Uh, has control over it and these are not really the carbon credits can't help and uh, this it's not a sustainable way either and I mainly feel like you can create some green points or eco points where people get some value to it when you buy some products and then with that you can uh, go to the local shops and get some products in that case local communities are also getting help and you can also create a local economy over a period of time when the be- people behaviors will change because they want to go there and buy the product because they like it so until unless then you don't know the product is existing in that local market right so mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that might help uh, create more sustainable value and less carbon emissions on side and uh, i suggest that green points or eco points might help rather than carbon credits
0: what doesn't carbon credit relate to example like okay if you purchase something we are gonna plant a a mangrove tree doesn't that equal to carbon credit as well
2: ah yes of course but the thing is it's not like directly carbon credit like if you if you buy a product by they plant a tree and in buying a planting a tree or something like that the company or the non-profit organization is giving some credits to the companies And with this carbon credits, the companies are exempting the carbon taxation, which is government is imposing on them. So the carbon pricing taxation right now is at least 85 euros or per ton in Europe, or else in US, some uh, $100 uh, uh, per ton. So they want to exempt that carbon emission taxation. So in that case, they are asking you to buy the product. They plant the tree they get the carbon credit from that non-profit organization and then they exempt the carbon taxation. So it's directly not proportional to anything. It's just indirectly proportional to all the things and you can't even control over it because again, these non-profit organizations are not 100% accurate because there is corruption. There is uh, so many other lobbying going on here. For example, Shell or any oil companies, whatever you take, so there is so much of lobbying and so on, so we don't know exactly as a planting tree or not even planting tree, they just have that money in their pockets. They might even have because that they, they can even build a non profit organization within minutes because they have billionaires, right? Mm-hmm. So just imagine. So, there is, uh, I feel like it's not even helping the planet or climate change to uh, stop or reduce.
0: this is
2: hard of course it's hard to believe but it's truth like it's the truth if if the carbon taxation increases and the products you buy get more taxation on it like your pricing of the tax because they want to be in the profits ultimately so they push the taxation onto the people same like plastic like right you, if you want a plastic you buy it right for one cent or two cents or maybe 10 rupees or five rupees previously they used to give free of cost and used to carry the Mm -hmm. products now Mm -hmm. you are buying and you are responsible because you are buying it just imagine so you are buying the product now you are responsible so you are responsible also for the carbon emissions so it's indirectly they are blaming you not they are blaming themselves so that's all
0: so the scheme is still there it's just now we are also part of the blame because we are
2: consuming it yeah of course there is still there carbon credits are still there, people are still using it. Of course, big players are still using it.
0: So I guess your advice here would be to always think local, one thing, whenever you are trying to...
2: Yeah, think local, decentralized, and social, economical, everything, like uh, uh, you need a decentralized system, but also a centralized system. So you incorporate Mm. centralized, decentralization, rather than having completely centralization. So that makes more sense, and the more effective and efficient in mind.
0: Okay, I guess also think creatively, right? Yes. All right then. Uh, this is the last question for Dave before we can have a concluding question. Uh, Dave, what are the financing system um, or mechanism to sustain marine biodiversity? And what challenges startups may face when working on these mechanisms? Hmm.
1: didn't I say that this was a tough I think you position? did.
0: <laughs> I think when I was reading this question, I'm like, okay, he spoke about geopolitics. He took, that's definitely the problem here. <laughs> but is there anything you want to add on to or things that you're going to say and you're not going to get jailed for? <laughs> uh, um,
1: so, so your question was, how do we finance marine conservation basically? correct um so first share what what usually happens um in governance um if you declare a protected area um uh, sorry a, a certain ecosystem as a protected area whether this is a natural park or a nature reserve or a marine protected area you restrict users access to it right so when you say restrict users access to it for example fishing would be either be prohibited or regulated in different areas of this of this um you know like space. Um, so you institute users fees, so or environmental users fees when um, anyone who uses this resource would pay a certain fee or levy, or, or, or you can also say it's similar to a tax, but it's, um, um, it's only put on when you're accessing this area, whether you're a tourist, you're a fisher, you're um, a company that's using some of these resources that are from that area, and you would have regulations that are are, um, set by a multi-stakeholder management board, meaning in that management board, you would have seats, voting seats that represent different sectors. You would have um, people who want more money (laughs) and exploit more on that board. You would have, you know, also activist organizations who are working for the local communities, especially if there's indigenous peoples affected in these um, areas. So um, yeah, users fees (laughs) is the number one um financing mechanism but is that enough um, from my under- from my experience no users fees are sometimes very low um, and they might not even have the industry uh, let's say a tourism industry you know if you have a lot of people coming to the to the protected area they would pay that would generate more users fees right per person would have a ticket and this is how you generally have um destinations are very popular and they have enough money to you know to improve their town basically um so um however that money needs to should be or they should be coming back to marine conservation programming you know they would need to go back to people who protect the, the protected area you know through livelihood or jobs or businesses or are also capital for other um you know enterprises to develop in that area you know what i mean so um d that's usually how Um, um, marine biodiversity is funded, but it's not enough. And this is, I believe, where startups can actually innovate. Um, I cannot describe how that work, but I've seen many startups beginning to generate a local economic uh, models that will generate more money for the conservation of a certain area.
0: Absolutely. Um, from what you're saying and what also Rajeshwar is talking about. I think it's also the centralized system. you can do all of this you said right um, um, increase like have a, a for example, you have protected areas and you have a fee right to to enter this area and stuff like that. You do all this, but there is no centralized body to assess all of this. It's just people like having certain rules and then we don't know where the money actually goes
1: in the Philippines so yeah, okay, um I have a minute to go you into do. that let's go. So you, have, you would have a centralized system for protected area management, um, and that is usually where corruption comes in, because if you have a national agency, you know, centralized getting all the fees and then just basically allocating them to different parks, then you would lose the representation of, of the community sometimes it's you know you would you would have emerging issues with this so we do have nationally protected uh, management areas I'm not saying this is a bad model but I'm just saying that you usually have those problems because the communities feel like they lost control of the very own land or water that is part of their you know um, heritage but then you also have locally managed areas like what I'm, I'm describing to you this should not this should also be these should also align with national guidelines. I'm not saying that these are loose organizations, but um, this is where we can fas- actually capacitate these organizations. Really make sure representation happens in that level. Voices are heard. You know, this is akin to what in our past would be elder councils. You know, when we have councils, you imagine when we were like different communities in different areas, like our ancestors would come together in councils yeah. and issues about their land and their forests. This is actually the modern version of it, and we need to ensure yeah. that this continues. Because, and especially that the voices that matter are not lost. You know that they are not um, kicked out by money or power. And this is what usually is the struggle the PC on the ground. And this is why people could die speaking against this kind of um, systemic um, problems. The, oh my God, is that so? Scary? That's so scary, right? But. Yeah.
0: <laughs> are you Are you feeling scared as you're talking about it?
1: <laughs> oh, no, I feel like I feel like that's why community is important. That's why I'm talking in this in this group, you know, because this is the stronger power that we have, when we're able to share these kind of like fears and, and hopes for our community. This is something that yeah that would build a stronger.
0: <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna come back to that and conclude what you said. Um, But I guess the conclusion, the question, the concluding question would be: I'm going to reverse this question. I'm going to state what the question is first, and then I'm going to say why it doesn't make sense. Do you think current policies for climate change are efficient, and are we doing enough to combat climate change? So the question clearly is um, has to be tweaked. So I guess you could say that current policies of climate change aren't efficient, right? But what do we do? to combat climate change as a whole. And I think as a whole, you've, you've kind of answered that as going back to the community and um, starting from that, giving them a representation, right? Um, allowing them to speak and also give the opportunity for the unheard. Um, yeah, I think you've said it, but is there anything we can do differently or can we do more to what we're doing now with projects like wedding conservation projects and yeah you've said it but <laughs> this is the question
1: <laughs> oh my gosh oh my gosh um yes i've that that's basically it it's the power of the community because um you know we are only as strong as the the community that we build you know um i cannot tell you that the technical approaches or technology or policies that are already existing would solve our climate crisis I cannot tell you that deep I'm sure right you are. if you if you read the scientists um um report that this was released from the IPCC you know you would have a certain level of despair of the you know lacking um you know policies and and um in, you know You know what I mean? Like it's not enabled for us to be able to fight the climate crisis together and we're even being desynthesized. So um, it has to be a message of the heart. It has to be a revolution of the heart. Uh, I don't know if that means anything to you, but um, we do have a lot of work that's in, in front of us. However, in the process, we are also transforming ourselves. And whether or not and, and I say this you know, sincerely, whether or not I can solve the climate crisis, I am trying in every protected area that I can, in every community that I can, to fight for what is just you know, um, for people in the planet.
0: That's amazing, Dave. Thank you very much for what you do. Um, and Rajeshwar, um, is there anything you've got to say for this as well? Please, we would like to hear your opinion. Do you think current policies for climate change are efficient? And are we doing enough to combat climate change? Not really. For sure. So how can we <laughs> do differently and what can we do more? I think
2: it's more about uh, like the businesses have to come, but uh, businesses are also nowadays uh, doing the behavioral change, right? So. Uh, your desire right your thinking whatever it is right so the businesses have to initiate in such a Mm -hmm. way that uh, human behavior can change so that uh, in that human behavior he can slowly change to new technology or new innovation but still it is some way or the other helping the planet right so that makes more sense for me rather than just going and saying people to change or just going and people to do something else. But I would say, like, the businesses are emphasizing the people, desires emphasizing everything. So uh, your ideology is changing, your technology is changing your mindset. Uh, Like Bitcoin changed everybody's mindset, and now NFT is changing people's mindset. Now everything is changing people's mindset, and people are really behind the money, not really behind something else, right? So... If you can bring that situation, people can change, of course, and that can help the, also the planet, in my opinion. So the mm-hmm. businesses should initiate in such a way that uh, they really are effective, efficient for the combating climate change, as well as for sustainability attainment, and as well as uh, the for the communities or attaining all the sustainable goals and whatever it is. That's my way of thinking.
0: You spoke about Bitcoin. There's actually in a question from the audience. They, they asked, can can cryptocurrencies be used to make ecological profitable? Like,
2: yes, uh, there can be done because if the mining is done with green energy, you can still do it. But uh, there is so many uh, uh, policies and so many things to do that and. Uh, I don't know, still we can able to mint the NFTs or uh, blockchain technology or uh, uh, with this uh, uh, clean energy and green energy because it's energy intensive process because we don't know how energy can be generated, renewable energy in particular region with this technologies to build this.
0: Okay, so it's sort of like, um, we don't need a few people doing things perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly. And that's the thing with uh, decarbonizing and sustainable movements. Yeah. <laughs> All right then. So guys, I think we've come to the end of our discussion. Thank you so much. Um, it is clearly super, super fruitful and um, in our opinions. Thank you for being here. And uh, we hope to hear from y'all soon hopefully yeah <laughs> and good luck with whatever that you're up to um you guys are definitely making a really really great impact and um it's also a lesson to say that we got to look at our own backyards and see how we can change things locally that lead to a global um initiative for sure so thank you and uh, speak to y'all soon